0: Hello and welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how fit leaders enjoy vibrant lives marked by personal health and sustained contributions. In this podcast, The Creative Potential, I want to cover five main components of creativity. The first point I'd like to make is that creativity is in fact an essential trait of fit leaders. Second, I'd like to make the point that creativity and innovation are not the same thing. Third, I'd like to address creativity as a process. Fourth, I want to talk about how creativity requires seeing things differently and managing our fears. And to that end, I want to introduce seven areas that leaders need to be very mindful of if they want to foster the creative potential of their team. And finally, fifth, I'd like to talk about seven creativity killers, attitudes and behaviors that can squash the creative spirit. Let's start with the first point, that creativity is an essential trait of a fit leader. Some of you might be wondering, why we're even talking about creativity in a leadership development podcast. Back in 2010, IBM undertook one of the world's largest one-on-one interview surveys. They spoke with 1,500 leaders of fortune companies, nonprofit organizations, and governmental systems. And the question that was asked of these leaders, these were global leaders, was what are the leadership qualities that are going to be essential for the success of your organization in the next five to ten years. Interestingly, creativity emerged as the number one attribute, even higher than integrity or global thinking, or even openness and humility. Now, all of these other traits of leaders certainly are critical, and yet what I took away from this study by IBM was that world leaders were agreeing that if their leaders weren't capable of thinking out of the box, and more importantly, if they weren't able to create an environment within the organization that was safe for employees to push back and to suggest new ways of doing things, that organizations were likely not going to be successful And that competitors would overtake them if they were the organizations where creativity was enabled. So it's really, really important when we think about developing future leaders to not ignore the important aspect of being open and curious with our people to the extent that they feel comfortable bringing new ideas and new approaches to us. Now, the second point I'd like to make is that often people think of creativity and innovation as being synonymous with one another. I actually think they're very different. To me, creativity is all about creating a pipeline of new ideas. It's creating the opportunity for people to come to us and to suggest what it is that they think we might do differently. On the other hand, innovation is where we allow some of those great ideas to get traction and to be implemented. So for me, innovation is where we translate creative ideas into value for some end customer. So you can be very creative as an individual or as an organization and not be very innovative. Many of us, I'm sure, can think of ideas that we've had that were creative and that we thought might even make us a million dollars one day. And yet many of us did nothing with those ideas. And the reason for that is that most of us don't have the resources to test market our idea, to determine what price would be best if we were to introduce it to the market You need an organization that has sufficient resources, people resources, financial resources to be able to take an idea and push it out into the marketplace. And that's why many of us have creative ideas and are not innovative in that we don't ultimately bring that great idea to the market. In fact, some of us might even be looking at products that were successfully launched in the marketplace that we thought of years before Procter & Gamble or some other large organization with the marketing resources to innovate brought those different products and services to the marketplace. So creativity is all about creating that pipeline of new ideas. Innovation is taking some of those best ideas and putting wheels under them so that people can actually benefit from them. The third point I'd like to make is that creativity is a process. Too often we think that to be creative means that you have to be a genius, that you have to be struck by lightning. You have to be an Archimedes who was taking a bath one evening and discovered the principles of buoyancy. This is often referred to as the aha moment or the eureka moment. What's interesting if we read a little bit into what actually happened with Archimedes, the Greek philosopher and mathematician, is that he had been asked by the king at the time to determine whether a crown, which presumably was all gold, was in fact all gold. A subject of the king presented the king with this gift of a gold crown, and the king was suspicious and felt that there was a good chance that the subject had been lying to him that the crown really wasn't made of pure gold. So he went to Archimedes for help, knowing that he was a physicist and a mathematician. And so Archimedes was working on this and working on this to no avail. And yet he kept thinking about it and thinking about it until one night when he was in the bathtub, he discovered that there was a relationship between the weight of an object and the displacement of a liquid, in this case, the water in his bathtub. And that's when he realized that he could determine the weight of gold as well as other metals by submerging them in water and by doing so would be able to answer the question that the king had put to him. So rather than being this truly aha or eureka moment where it just automatically came to Archimedes out of nowhere, Archimedes had already been working on this problem for a while. And what we refer to as the Eureka Moment was simply the last step in the creative process. So the creative process is a long journey where someone is trying to discover something, trying to determine whether or not they can come up with an answer or with a different solution. Let's take another couple of examples that I think will be helpful. Think about Dyson and the Dyson vacuum cleaner. Now, some of you may have, a a vacuum cleaner made by Dyson. Everyone I talk to that has one absolutely raves about them. What most people don't realize is that the vacuum cleaner they bought is actually the result of thousands of prototypes. Thousands of, no, not exactly right yet. That's not what I intended. Lots and lots of failures or unanticipated outcomes. That's a great way to think about a failure. A failure is simply an unanticipated outcome. Gee, I didn't expect that. I won't do it again that way. I'll do it a different way the next time. So Dyson actually went through over 5,000 attempts to develop his vacuum cleaner before he was comfortable putting it out on the marketplace and selling it to the first customer. So that, again, is a long process. We often look at Dyson and say, what a genius! came up with this great vacuum cleaner. Well, yes, he did. And it took him a long, long time and a lot of money and a lot of backing by others that allowed him to keep going back and trying it until he finally felt like it was what his customers would want. So it's often said that it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Let me say that again. It takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And all that means is that often all we see is the success of someone and we think they're a natural. We think they were born this way when in fact we haven't seen the years and years of setbacks and missteps and failures along the way that made this person successful in the end. So we have to be mindful that we all have the capability to be creative, to be accomplished, if we're willing to start down that road of creativity, if we're willing to be curious about how we might approach a problem in a different way than it's ever been approached before. And we shouldn't expect immediate success. Most success is not immediate Creativity is a process. Let me talk about some of the creativity enablers. What are some of the behaviors and attitudes that we as leaders need to put in place if we really want to stoke the creative potential of our team? The first is tolerating ambiguity. So if we are the kind of person that needs to have everything tied up with a pretty bow we're not likely to be encouraging much creativity because think about someone on your team who might come to you with an idea one day and it seems odd to you doesn't doesn't make sense you don't have a mental model into which you can integrate this new idea and often we're tempted and and often not just tempted we we actually tell the person to go back to their desk just do what I ask you to do. Please don't bring these harebrained ideas to me. We don't have time for that. When in fact, that idea could potentially be the next breakthrough for our organization. The reason it seems strange to us is that it's not our idea. If it was our idea, it would make perfect sense. And so, the antidote to this intolerance for ambiguity is to be curious. It's to ask some questions. Gee, that's interesting. Tell me more. How do you see this working? To try to understand what someone is suggesting before we just dismiss it. Because if we get into the habit of dismissing new ideas from our people, the message we're sending very clearly is don't bother me with new ideas. Just do your work. Do it the way we've always done it. So if we really want to create this environment where people are willing to come to us with some new ideas, even if they think they might be on the fringe, we have to be creating this environment where people feel safe and an environment where people know that we'll at least listen to their ideas. It doesn't mean that we'll encourage them or even be able to resource them or implement them. That's not what people want at the end of the day. They, they don't come to us with an idea, with the expectation that we will make it happen all the time. They do, however, want to be heard. They want us to listen to them. And so we have to make that time to be curious. A second behavior that we as leaders can make sure we're bringing to our organizations and, and to the members of our team is to ask more questions. Often we think that our job as leaders is to have all the answers. And while it's true that because we are a leader in our organization, there's a good chance we have expertise and experience that provides us with that ability to answer questions and to help people move down this path or that path, we really want to encourage our people to discover some of the answers for themselves. This is the the difference between telling and asking. We don't wanna just tell people the answers, even if we know the answers all the time, because the exploration, the curiosity that is associated with thinking on their own is important for employees if they're going to feel creative. So we don't want to shut creativity down by always telling people what we think they should do. A third behavior that we want to make sure we avoid is forcing results. So we want to give people sufficient time to be creative. If I were to put you in a room with some colleagues and say you've got 30 minutes to come up with a good idea for how to solve this problem, I suspect that things would not go very well in that room. For the first five minutes or so, you'd probably be worrying about what's going to happen, what if we don't have an answer. Creativity needs some space, and one of the reasons it needs some space is because our unconscious, the unconscious part of our mind, often will continue to think through solutions we're trying to develop, even after we're no longer consciously thinking about it. This is the the sleeping on it phenomenon. So you've got this issue, you are working on it, you can't solve it, you can't figure it out, you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and there's the answer. And not only is it so easy and so obvious, you can't even believe that you couldn't see the solution the night before. Well, the reason we couldn't see the solution the night before is because our mind hadn't figured it out yet. And when we take our conscious attention off a problem, the unconscious part of our mind continues to process it. And that's why we can come up with a solution the next morning. Now, it obviously doesn't have to be the next morning. You don't have to go to sleep. It might be nine o'clock in the morning when you're trying to figure something out and you're stuck. You just leave it and you go on to something else. And we've all had that experience of an hour later, maybe only 10 minutes later, maybe half a day later, the answer arrives. And that's because the unconscious part of our mind was working on this in the background. And at some point, it comes to us that here's the solution. This is another reason that we should never hand in our first draft of anything. Because when we draft something and then put it aside... When we ultimately go back, we will almost always improve it. We will always make it better. We'll rearrange the order of our points that we're trying to make in a letter or a proposal or whatever it is that we're working on because, again, the unconscious part of our mind has continued to process and think about this. So we should always initially just get our ideas down on paper or on a screen and then go back to it. Sometimes a second time, maybe a third time. Every time we go back to something, we're likely to see it a little differently, which means we're likely to increase the quality of whatever it is we're working on. Fourth, we should listen more. We should really be open to hearing what people are thinking. We should be provoking their new ideas and their participation as we try to solve thorny problems. Fifth, we should fail forward. We should be comfortable with failure. It's not possible to be successful over the course of a lifetime if we have not failed. And failing, as I mentioned before, is simply an unanticipated outcome. Gee, I didn't expect that. Gee, that's strange. See, too often we personalize failure. When we fail, we say things like, I'm a failure. I'll never be good at this. I'll never be able to get this done. I'll never be able to come out with something original. That doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve anyone. So we want to see failure as an essential step in the learning process. And this can be hard for some leaders and and also some organizations who may give lip service to wanting their people to be creative and to take risks and to be willing to fail, only to then slap them on the hand or punish them when they do fail. So we really have to be serious about letting people fail when it's safe to fail. It's not always safe to fail, and yet there are so many opportunities day-to-day where it is safe to fail. And so when it is, we should be okay with someone not necessarily getting the outcome that they desire and that perhaps we or the organization desire. Again, Dyson failed repeatedly, although he didn't look at it as failure. Thomas Edison, according to legend, took 10,000 tries to invent the light bulb. And a reporter went up to him one day and said, Mr. Edison, how does it feel to have failed 9,999 times? And Mr. Edison reportedly responded to the reporter by saying, my dear sir, I didn't fail 9,999 times. I just discovered 9,999 ways not to make a light bulb. And so that's the spirit of creativity. It's, it's being willing to go back and to learn, of course, from the failure. We don't want to keep repeating the same failures again and again we want to learn from them and yet if we don't fail if we don't fail in life we're probably playing too small we're not taking enough risks and the most successful organizations the most successful people are often the organizations and the people that have taken the most risks and have failed the most and as a result they have come more quickly to all of the things that don't work and all of the ways not to do something so that they ultimately do it the right way. If we don't allow ourselves to fail, then we never learn what doesn't work so that we can focus on what does. The sixth creativity enabler is chunking big projects into smaller pieces. Sometimes when we're trying to be creative, we're trying to solve some problem, it's so overwhelming that We don't even know where to start, and often we don't start. So, if we can bite off a smaller piece of the problem where we can feel comfortable that, yes, I can manage this, I can get my arms around this, we're more likely to start down that path than if we keep this big project in front of us where we keep avoiding it because we're just not convinced we're going to be able to manage the scope of this large problem. Finally, the seventh. Creativity enabler that I want to talk about is maximizing diversity. So, if you look around the table, you want to see faces that look very different from one another. If all the faces around the table look alike, there's a good chance we're going to miss out on some perspectives that just aren't going to be represented. When we have a more diverse group of people, whether it's gender diversity, racial diversity, generational diversity, professional discipline diversity, we're going to be able to call on lots of different sets of experiences and perspectives that are going to make it easier for us to deliberate on some possible solutions. So those are what I would call seven creativity enablers, tolerating ambiguity by being more curious, focusing more on questions than on answers, giving people time and space for being creative. Don't force results. Listen more. Be willing to let people fail. Chunk big projects into more manageable pieces and maximize diversity. Now, let me end with seven what i would call creativity killers the first one is fear so if i was to ask you how much fear is there in your organization some of you might say oh we don't have we don't have much fear in our organization others of you might say oh we have a lot of fear in our organization some of you might say well in my part of the organization we don't have much fear although i know in other parts there is fear so there are going to be pockets of fear in almost every organization. And when I say fear, what I really mean here is fear of speaking up, fear of pushing back, fear of sharing your ideas with your boss and perhaps with your boss's boss. If people are afraid to speak up, we're not going to hear some of these breakthrough ideas because people are just afraid of sharing them because perhaps in the past when someone has had the courage and has taken the initiative to speak up, they were ridiculed or they were humiliated or they were told to go back to their desk or they were told not to uh, suggest something that's different from what the boss has already suggested. So these are all situations where we are stifling creativity. We need to look for every opportunity to reduce fear of pushback in organizations or the people who are often the closest to our customers and as a result, perhaps very good at seeing possible innovations and and ways of doing things differently, they're just not gonna share them with us because of the experience they've had in the past or because they're not really sure that, that that we wanna hear their new ideas. So we want to remove, reduce fear wherever we find it. Second, we need to avoid rigidity. So think of a baseball game. There's a manager of a baseball team and there's an ump and they're arguing out on the baseball field about a play that the ump just called and the manager of the baseball team disagrees vehemently with it and for those of you who follow baseball you know this happens quite often And usually what happens is the manager gets thrown out of the game because he or she goes too far in challenging the ump. What I want to recognize, though, in this example is that at the point where these two individuals are yelling back and forth, both of them, the manager and the ump, think that they are 100% correct both of them think they are 100% correct and that there's no way that they could be wrong there's no way they could have seen the play differently now we know that's not possible one of the two individuals has to be right and the other wrong and yet we can become so rigid when we are talking to other people about new ideas and new ways of doing things That again we foreclose on the possibility of seeing truth and seeing some middle ground so we want to try to avoid that rigidity the third creativity killer is what i call premature editing you might recall the old ibm selectric typewriter a typewriter where if you made a mistake you literally had to pull the paper out of the typewriter and put new paper in and start fresh at some point the IBM Selectric typewriter came with cartridges that had different color film, different color ink on it, including one that had white film. So, if you made an error using, let's say, black ink, you would take the black cartridge out and you put the white cartridge in. You would retype the error. It would lift the error from your page. And then you'd put your black or blue ink cartridge back in and continue. And then we had. Little bottles of whiteout that you could use to smear the whiteout over the error. You'd blow on it, it would dry, it would remove the error, and then you could retype it. All somewhat primitive ways of composing. And of course, today, we all benefit from having word processing software that we use on our computers. And yet, to this very day, what many of us still do is stop ourselves every time we make a spelling error or we discover that this isn't exactly how we want to say something. And so what we're doing is we're constantly interrupting ourselves. We are prematurely editing our document instead of simply getting all of our ideas out on paper or on the screen and knowing that when we come back, we will likely make a lot of other changes based on the fact that our unconscious is still processing what we are composing. So remember, we talked about the value of, of leveraging that utility of our mind, that it's always going to be trying to make our work better. So why would we waste our time while we are composing and creating to stop and make those corrections? It's possible that when we go back, if we waited to edit that we might take out entire sentences or paragraphs where we've already taken the time to make corrections along the way instead of just waiting until the very end. So we really need to find ways to get comfortable typing, writing without being critical in the middle of that process because interruptions are devastating to the creative process because it stops the flow of ideas and sometimes it's very difficult to get back to where we were because of that that stopping of that creative process the fifth creativity killer is simply holding on to outdated traditions always doing things the way we've always done them i'm reminded here of the meatloaf story some of you may be familiar with this story Here's how it goes. A little girl or a little boy, I usually alternate genders as I tell this story. Today, I'll, I'll stick with a little girl watching her mother bake a meatloaf in the oven. And when the mother takes the meatloaf out, she proceeds to cut both ends off the meatloaf. And the little girl is curious enough to ask her mother why she did that. Mommy, why did you cut the two ends off the meatloaf? Well, the mother responded, well, sweetheart, I do that because that's how my mother, your grandmother, used to do it when she baked a meatloaf. So they went and talked to the grandmother, and the little girl asked her grandma, Grandma, when you baked a meatloaf, why did you cut both ends off the meatloaf? Well, the grandmother said, honey, the reason I did that is because... My mother, your great-grandmother, did that. So the great-grandmother, or Gigi, as great-grandmothers are often referred to, was still alive. And so the little girl and her mother went to talk to Gigi, the great-grandmother. And the little girl said, Gigi, when you baked a meatloaf, why did you always cut both ends off? And Gigi said, well, sweetheart, the reason I did that is because I didn't have a plate big enough to put the meatloaf on. Now, I'm wondering how many procedures, processes you are still performing in your organization simply because that's the way we've always done it. We've been doing it that way for 10 years. We've been doing it that way for 40 years. So we all have these standard operating procedures and we need to challenge them. We need to ask ourselves if it's still the best, most efficient Most effective way of doing things. So, outdated traditions can really hobble us, and we need to be curious about how current conditions and current technologies might have us do something differently than the way we've always done it. Number six, playing it safe. And we've already talked a little bit about this. It's important. To take risks. It's important to not always do what is least risky. Often what is least risky ends up being most risky. If, if we think that by not taking risks, we're going to end up being more successful or safer in the long run, often that's simply not true. And then finally, the seventh creativity killer is where we uphold the status quo, where we're not willing to deviate from the way that something has been done. So you can see these last two, playing it safe in the status quo are somewhat related. And yet we have to be careful not to be afraid of doing something because others will think we're deviating too much from the way things have been done before. One of the examples I often use here is the Honda Element, which you might recall was a very boxy car. It's still a boxy car actually it's not being produced anymore although it was manufactured for many many years and it was one of the first cars that that deviated from the curves that most cars had and Honda executives at the time actually almost killed the car and didn't allow it to be sold because they felt they might become the laughing stock of the auto industry because cars don't look like this cars don't look like boxes And so to their credit, they did let that car roll off the assembly line and it did become a very popular car. In fact, it inspired other automotive designers to come up with cars that looked somewhat similar. So we have to be willing to take those chances. So let me do a quick summary here. The first point we addressed is that creativity is absolutely an essential attribute of a fit leader. Second, We talked about the fact that creativity and innovation are not the same. Creativity is all about generating ideas, a pipeline of ideas. Innovation is putting wheels under some of those ideas so that we translate those ideas into some value for end customers. Third, we talked about creativity as being a process, often a long process. And we have to be careful not to think that that aha moment or the eureka moment or that overnight success that we see was the only part of that success. Often there were years of failed attempts to be creative. And this should help each of us be more confident that we can be creative as well, when we realize that it's not a spark of genius that hits us, it's a dedication to figuring out a solution to a problem and that can take time, there can be many failures along the way. And then we also talked about seven creativity enablers and we talked about seven creativity killers. If you are interested in learning more and would like more information about what it takes to be a fit leader, I invite you to visit my website, fitleadersacademy.com, fitleadersacademy.com.